Hello and welcome to episode number 66 of the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host Jason Holzer along with Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, good morning to you today. Good morning, Jason. Well, you know, Jimmy, every episode is packed with tips, strategies, and uh, different ways to transform your life, your athletes' lives, and people in your sports organization. And today, it, we are not going to be disappointed because we're getting into some like emotional freedom techniques with our guest today. So I don't know if you've ever experienced any. This is not the EFTs as financial. This is more EFT on the emotional bank. So Yeah, you got um, me excited when you talk about uh, bringing our guests on today because, I mean, I – you know, I mean, we've talked about it. I've struggled with uh, emotional challenges throughout my life at times. And you work with athletes that struggle with it and you know, even coaches I work with. And sometimes you don't know what to do to, to help them or yourself. So having somebody on that's got the expertise to help me have a breakthrough through these emotions that maybe don't allow you to reach your full potential. I'm excited about this. Well, you know, Scott Fox is our guest today and he is the founder of the Champion Playbook. Uh, 40 years of coaching experience. He's also was a Division One baseball player, um, and he's certified in powerful mind-body techniques like tapping and energy psychology. So, you know, a lot of these things are like they're becoming more and more uh, accepted in our culture, and it's like interesting to see how we can release some of these emotional blocks that hold us back. So we're going to go ahead and bring him on today. Uh, Scott, good morning to you. How are you doing from uh, Virginia this morning? Yeah, I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me on here. I love this. Uh, when Jason, you and I met just a little while ago. We bonded because we both have a great passion for helping people uh, through the non-physical, and uh, I love it. Thank you. And, you know, Jim and, Jim and I have talked about this a lot. Sports, we focus a lot on 95% of it is physical, right? Whether you're training a, a swing, a throw, a catch, you know, whatever. I know baseball is your sport. About three to five, we focus on the non-physical, right? And you really get into – you know, emotional resilience. Like, can you explain, like, what does emotional resilience mean? Because some people might assume that as, like, oh, just toughen up and keep trying harder, keep trying harder. Right. And that's probably not what we mean here by emotional resilience. Can you elaborate yeah, on that a little bit? I, absolutely. Thank you. It's a great question. And I'm going to give you a little context or your listeners a little context as to my explanation. So uh, at the end of last year, I did a little listening tour around the country. I went to Southern California, met with some uh, big-time school athletic department-type folks, went to then SEC territory uh, later in the year, and I heard a common theme. And the common theme that they were saying was that, uh, it was articulated best by somebody in, in the Southeast. And he said, Scott, the number one problem on our campus is the number one problem on every campus. And that's a lack of emotional resiliency amongst not just the athletes, but the student population. And what he meant was that when this generation of uh, student athletes is faced with something that is perceived as negative, they don't know how to handle it. And oftentimes will, for lack of a better phrase, um, turn inward, get depressed, uh, have anxiety, not be able to process through it. And it's not their fault, right? It's not that they want to do that. They haven't been trained by society or by a mentor or you name it, uh, to have the we'll call it emotional resiliency. And that just means your ability to process information through your system and to use the, you know, the colloquial bounce back to be able to come back and perform. And so for students, uh, excuse me, for athletes, hey, it's critical. You're right. Ba baseball was my sport in college. It's every, it's every sport and it's all parts of life. We want to be able to enjoy it, uh, to have a perspective that allows us to come back and, uh, 
Okay. Unfortunately, right now that's missing and it's manifesting as uh, a lot of serious problems on campuses. If you look at, um, you know, levels of anxiety and all sorts of measurements regarding uh, depression and unfortunately suicide as well, the numbers are pretty horrendous. And uh, I'll stop there. I know I can keep talking, but uh, there's a lot to this. Well, you know, like we have trainers that train us on all kinds of physical skills and we would never send a player in a performance aspect without having them trained or without having them practice something. But we haven't really practiced those emotional you know, exercises, if you will, to build that emotional resiliency. For some reason, we think like, oh, we have that resiliency already built in and we got to figure it out. And then we get frustrated whenever players don't have it and we wonder why they don't. Can you elaborate like, hey, what's the first step in in training emotional resilience? Where can we start the basic fundamentals so that way we can move to some of these uh, advanced techniques that you're going to tell us about here in a little bit? And also, too, it's Scott, as you jump in that, what Jason's saying as well as, you know, I look at it, too, as coaches. A lot of times we don't have the emotional intelligence. Right. And a lot of times players become who we are. Right. The reflection of us. Mm -hmm. So you can also get into that, too, is like what coaches can do to take care of themselves, to be more emotionally balanced as well. Well, you're exactly right. And so when I recently spoke at the American Baseball Coaches Association annual convention, I said that at the beginning of my presentation, which was that, hey, I'm going to challenge some of you out there because when we get into this topic, it requires coaches to look at themselves. And that's uncomfortable for people who aren't ready to do that. And it's a shame because, you know, and there's nothing inherently dangerous about it, but our culture hasn't provided uh, a set of safety cues, I'll call them, that allow people to do it and simply to feel safe. And by the way, that's the key to performance is uh, having people feel safe. They get create creativity goes through the roof. They just can do lots of things. So um, awareness is really the first step. And Jason, you said it is like if you think through it, coaches, um, in fact, we say it, hey, performance is based on a mental. We all say that. But how much time do we actually spend on it? So number one is awareness. And then number two is, um, I think, reaching out and learning. I mean, that's what I did. I, I had the good fortune of being a curious person and uh, I just started to dig in. I wanted to become the best coach I could be for uh, I was coaching Little League at that time, and I'd coached many years even before then. But I was, uh, I don't know, was that a moment? This was back in 2008, 2009. My kids were becoming uh, that Little League age, and I wanted to be the best coach I could be. I don't know what got in, into me, but I looked back at my own career, and I said, huh, why didn't I make it to the highest levels? I wanted to become a professional baseball player. And I had um, worked myself into a five-tool player. And uh, just terribly inconsistent, terribly inconsistent. And uh, I can relate to a lot of athletes these days because it becomes frustrating. And I didn't have anybody, uh, despite the fact my coach was a in college, was a former major league all-star. He was frustrated too. And to your point, Jim, you know, the coaches really need to start with themselves. And a uh, great example of that is uh, one of my clients, uh, Tuskegee University, baseball program and he's given me rights to to break confidentiality i know normally i'm confidential on my client list and uh you know he experienced this for himself and uh if you go to my website you'll see him actually give a video testimonial during my presentation at the baseball convention and he said 
he had some personal things that were uh, kind of a mild depression, if you will. And he felt the benefits of going through this process with me. And yeah, we did some tapping with him and there are other techniques as well. You know, so, I'll stop there because again, I can keep going. <laughs> well, no, Scott, like that's one thing when Jason was looking at EFT and I'm like, okay, emotional freedom technique. Okay, whoa. And as you mentioned, like I can relate to this because as an athlete growing up, I was inconsistent. I mean, I felt the pressure. My dad would coach me at times and I wanted to play professional baseball, basketball, one of them. Yeah. But I, I would have good games, bad games. I'd be up and down. I wouldn't be consistent. And I would get so emotionally upset and it would affect the way I played. And it started translating in how I coached as well at times. So that's that inner reflection that I had to look within myself and be like, I want to become better enough for my, just something for myself and my athletes as well. So when we get in this emotional freedom, mm -hmm. how, how do you identify these maybe negative emotions that people yeah. have? And how do you create the freedom to have this breakthrough where you can have this safe environment and they can sit there and be creative and be consistent in what they do? I love the question. And, you know, there's a, there's a few, few ways to answer this. So I believe that it's a lot easier than most coaches think. And I saw this in my own experience uh, when I was, I'll, I'll say experimenting, that's a terrible word, <laughs> experimenting with players, young, young players, but that's kind of what it was happening. And I believe that when we remove the, uh, this is not a scientific term, the gunk off of us, our internal workings, we have this beautiful divine essence that easily shines through. You know, we're kind of built for success um, and it gets covered up and it gets taken away through socialization process when we're very young and we start to believe that we're not enough because we, we have to give up some of our power when we're young because we have no skills or power as a young human. You know, young animals, they can get up and walk as soon as they're born, some of them. Uh, we can't do that. So we have to take some of our divine essence and trade it for survival. And that's great, except it does get in the way later on in life where these deep, deep programming that's at a very deep subconscious level prevent us from playing, performing, being our best. And so how do we get to that? Um, so the training that I received in my certification for either one of those techniques. So yeah, we'll say tapping, but it could be energy psychology too. And I'll explain both of those in a moment. Um, trains us to allow this to be a very client centered process. So it's not like I have to sit there and diagnose. Uh, in fact, I can't even use that word. I'm not a you know medical clinician. Um, I don't have to do that. These processes are built around having a player feel something and then we tap. And it's as simple as that. But as men, especially, we are taught not to feel, right? We are taught to be tough. Don't talk about your feelings. And when I say feelings, I don't mean emotions. I mean, I want a client to feel something in their body. And as athletes, we should be very well tuned into our bodies. But a lot of times, again, we're blocked. And if I say to some of my potential clients or my clients, um, hey, what are you feeling? They'll say, uh, I feel I feel happy or feel sad. It's like, no, that's not a feeling. <laughs> Think about that. The feeling is a sensation in your body. So um, the way the way this process can work for what you said, Jim, is uh, 
first off, somebody has to have a desire to be better than they are. And most athletes want to do that. And then it's as simple as getting them to think about a situation that they don't like a negative memory could be on the sports field. We'll start there. Uh, very often though, the essence of why they feel bad in that situation has to do with something that happened 20 or 30 years ago when they were kids. You know, we get programmed from age zero to five when our brain waves are in a state that mimic when an adult is in a hypnotic state. You've heard people say, oh, he absorbs information like a sponge. Kids are sponges. That's really a great analogy. They are wonderful at bringing information in, but they can't process it in context. And so these very deep survival skill kind of programming that helps us survive when we're little kids, but they get in the way when we're um, ball players trying to be our best. So um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I talked a lot. Yeah, I'd like to, Scott, like get into this. And if you don't mind, like, so for example, you know, I've heard of that. Like a lot of times we have conditioning, you know, genetic condition, environmental conditioning when we're young, almost when you're young, your conscious mind hasn't even been formed. And it's all this goes in your subconscious mind, like everything that's said, done, things around you, the emotions yeah. of people. You get older, you get into school, maybe teachers tell you something, coaches tell you something, yeah. friends maybe say negative things and you start to absorb this information, right? Right. And it starts to maybe you think you are this certain way and it blocks you. So is there any way like you could take maybe say like a Jason or, or myself or something like, you know, a lot of athletes maybe struggle with fear. I hear it a lot of times I'm fearful, right? And those some things like certain emotions that maybe could you take us through like you're a yeah. coach and maybe we're an athlete, what would you do? And how yeah. would tapping work? Because tapping is kind of an interesting thing. When I was looking at it, there's a couple of techniques that you take us through maybe a tapping exercise. What would it look like? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. And there's lots of ways to do this. And I, uh, I think that every coach should have some type of, um, we'll call it mind body release technique as incorporated into daily practice. It's like we activate the body and we get it quote warmed up. We should be activating all energy systems and the emotional energy system is one of them. So what I would do, um, if I was working with, let's say one-on-one -on -one with somebody and they said, oh, I'm afraid to do something. Um, I would first, I would, I would start off the session by just doing a little bit of grounding exercise to, you know, just relax somebody. And, uh, that might look like some breathing techniques, which we don't have to get into at the moment here. But it's just very, very quick to get them comfortable. I would speak with them to build rapport. And um, when we get to a logical spot and probably within five to 10 minutes, I would say, so tell me about, you know, what, where are you afraid? You know, oh, okay. I'm afraid when I start to walk up to the plate. Okay. So I might say, let's start tapping like this. And uh, um, I'll do the shortcut technique here. But I would say, okay, so tell me about your, uh, your fear. Uh, well, I walk up to the plate and, um, you know, I start, my heart starts to pound and, uh, I might say to them right then and there, just stop and, and, you know, tune into that heart pounding. Um, can you feel it right now? They may say, yeah, gosh, my heart's already really pounding. Great. And I'll say, focus on your heart and let that negative feeling grow. Okay. So this is different. It's not power of positive thinking here. This is reprogramming. And we'll talk how this works. And, I, and the tapping looks like this. There's a spot on the top of the head. And again, I would say, keep thinking about your heart. I might have their eyes closed. Envision yourself feeling bad. In fact, I want you to 
imagine that at bat and feel as uncomfortable as you can right now with your attention on your heart. Yeah. And so I would have them to continue to do that. And I'm just going to talk um, as a non-practitioner and explain now. And we would go through these various points. And these points are meridian end points. So we've heard of acupuncture and they use the meridian system and uh, they have very specific points. They have to go to school and really learn exactly where those points are. Um, the tapping process, I'm, I'm tapping over here. <laughs> These tap, this tapping points um, are a lot more forgiving in which I, and, and I love this because as great as acupuncture is, you can't bring it to the dugout <laughs> and you can't really do it on yourself. I guess acupuncturists might be able to, but for us as lay people, um, it's impossible to do that. So we have this process. And as I take a client through this, I'm trained to look for, I'm going to stop for a moment, look for cognitive shifts. Okay. So big words for, um, can I see through their body that their brain has started to rewire around this? Um, and so an example of a cognitive shift that manifests in a physical form would be the changing of color in a face. Sometimes a client is so disturbed that they lose, you know, their blood leaves their face. And um, when I can see that return, great. Another one is a yawn. Uh, I love it when I, a client yawns. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I just didn't get enough sleep. I'm like, no, that's not the reason. It's the it's sign of a, a shift in the energy system of their body. And it's classic and it's a great sign. So um, that's the basics of what I do. Now, each session that I would do with a client, it all depends on the client. Little kids, and I've worked with as young as eight or nine-year-olds, they're really great. They're fast. They don't have as much gunk built up over decades that we do. <laughs> so they could clear something doing this. It could be five minutes. In fact, during games, I, when I first started to um, try this, first I tried it on myself. I was like, okay, I feel something. Then I, during the middle of a game, little kid was starting to cry. He really tried hard to do something. I knew he had a lot of stress in his life. He had some real stress at home. And uh, I was like, hey, little Johnny, would you do this? We did that. And all of a sudden he gets back to normal. His color in his face gets back to normal. He picks up his glove and he's the pitcher for the inning. And I was like, wow, what's going to happen? Because normally if this kid starts to get out of emotionally uh, emotional control, he's done for the whole game. And he gets out there and he throws the best he's ever thrown. You know, if there's such a thing as a lights out inning for a nine-year-old. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And uh, that's the short side. And longer, you know, um, I worked with a D1 softball player. Uh, her mother actually get, gives a video testimonial on my website, which is very compelling because she's a, uh, a licensed counselor and had tried lots of traditional therapy for her daughter that maybe it helped a little. Um, but uh, her daughter had had a lot of trauma. Uh, they unfortunately had a tragedy in their family where one of the siblings died. She uh, the, the daughter's in in college her first year during pandemic. She then hurts her shoulder. She has to have operation. I mean, there was a lot heaped on this girl. And, uh, you know, that session probably lasted an hour and 15 to an hour and a half. It just depends. And um, I look at that like for, for coaches looking to help their players. So we go to the dentist 
you know, a couple times a year at least. And we spend, I don't know, it's a half an hour plus at least there. And uh, then we also brush our teeth daily and that's only two minutes or three minutes, whatever that is. So there's a way to implement these kind of techniques so that you're not going to eat up, you know, an hour kind of doing this stuff. But when you really have something to address with a player or a coach who wants to get really through a big issue, yeah, take the time and do it. Why wouldn't you? You go to physical therapy, <laughs> you might as well do, do this training as well. Well, the thing like you said too, Scott, it's like, it's simple. It's somebody that a young child could do at school when they're stressing, their emotions are going on, right? It could be like they're in a sport and they're on the bench or they're sitting there waiting for their time to come up to bat or they're waiting for the time to get into a basketball game. So tapping's one of them. You talk about the EFT techniques. What's yeah. the second one you kind of mentioned? Yeah, yeah. So that? absolutely. So energy psychology is kind of an overarching umbrella that includes um, EFT, but it's a basket of tools that are used out there to help the brain and body rewire around past negative events and uh, accomplish goals, feel better. There's a myriad of you know ways to describe all of this. And so energy psychology, um, you know, what, first off, what are we trying to do? Again, we're trying to understand the way our bodies work. We are not just this, you know, flesh and bone uh, of the weight room kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with, with that. I, I, I'm a certified kettlebell instructor too. I really love the body and its typical trainings, but we're energy as well. In fact, all of us, everything we see in this realm is energy. That's Einstein, right? E equals MC squared. Mass is energy. So um, uh, energy psychology um, could include things like um, leveraging the even our eyes. Our eyes are connected really intimately with our brain. There are eye movement techniques that can be combined with this um, experiencing of a negative event or perceived negative event that will remove that perception. It's fascinating. I did this uh, on the fly with an, a, a gentleman in his 60s who's an author. And I think he might have had some block issues uh, getting his book done or book sold. And um, we very quickly kind of got back to his childhood. And he brought it up, not me. I didn't have to say, you know, did you have a happy childhood? Did your mother love you? No, uh, the subconscious will release this stuff verbally and we just started to tap and I got him, excuse me, I, we started to tap. And then I got to a point, I was like, we're going to use his eyes to see if we can rewire this. And it's a really cool technique. Um, we won't have to get into it now, but it's simple. And uh, it basically was um, a little bit of looking at a distance and then looking close and combining it with some verbiage stuff. And it's very close to NLP. If you guys know uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah. yeah. And uh, those kinds of things, again, are really uh, learnable and translatable to the sports fields. Coaches can do this. And I said, that's what I said to the Baseball Coach Association when I spoke, is like, I'm a coach. So I mentioned somehow I've been coaching for 40 years. I had the good fortune of having a father who coached and I was a teenager and I used to be his assistant. And uh, I'm just a coach who's curious. And I think it's such a competitive advantage to have these little things in your back pocket. And they also change kids' lives because if you don't clear up these little traumas, they stick. And, you know, it's like that ship that was two degrees off course. You can correct after, you know, 100 yards, no problem. 
but what about you know <laughs> if you don't correct for 30 years you're way off way off course way off course hey scott what do you tell what do you say to coaches say i don't got time for this i mean seriously i only have like an hour and a half practice twice a week with my kids i'm running youth I don't got I only got enough time to sit there work on the baseball or uh, basketball skills in a practice and you know to learn this stuff and someone else needs to do this not me. Yeah and and I'm looking around here for my book on uh there's a book that was written by uh Gary Craig who was a football and baseball player at USC mm-hmm. and he was really the um proponent of EFT back in the 90s he started or 80s and 90s he was starting to push this out he was way ahead of everybody. And, and Gary was an engineer, um, but an athlete at heart. And he tried to make it really simple. And, and uh, you know, um, I think that uh, the, the, my point is that there's a book that full of experiences of athletes and coaches who have used this on a sporadic basis, unfortunately, and had great results. So the evidence is there. And for coaches who say, I don't have time, like, well, you know, A, sometimes... I can't convince anybody if they're not open. Uh, that's it. I, I've learned that and I've been coached that as well. It's like some people are just not going to be there and that's fine for them right now. I'm not going to try to ju- judge them harshly. Those who are open to it, I would say, look, you've got um, uh, your kids probably waking up in college, going to a 6 a.m. workout in, in the gym, lifting weights. Um, why are you doing that? And they'll say, well, they've got to be strong. Yeah, great. So you're preparing the body for performance. And that's back to where we started at the beginning. What are you doing to prepare? We'll call it the mind, but the non-physical side of these kids. I don't know. And so I don't have an exact answer for you on that, Jim. It is, um, I think people have to get there on their own almost. You know, it's... uh, it's a funny thing about our culture. And I talked to somebody who's been doing this much longer than I have uh, with his various techniques. And I said, what's the magic words? How did you convince people? And he looked, and he's like, he said, I haven't. <laughs> I have not figured this out. He says, the, you know, the Western mind has a real hard time justifying spending time uh, doing this work. It's shifting. It's changing. It's changed a lot in the last 10 years uh, since I started to do this. We still have a ways to go. Well, I think it goes back to Scott. It's like with the pandemic and with COVID and with things that people have gone through. I mean, they talk about anxieties up, depressions up in, in kids. And us as coaches, like if we're not helping these kids out, then they might not be getting it at home, right? And maybe the schools might not be teaching as much. So where are they going to get it at? So to me, wow. it's like, are we going to be the ones that are going to provide these resources? Yeah. I'm speaking to myself as a coach to help these kids, because if we're not helping them, then who's going to? And as you mentioned, as Jason talked about earlier, it's like kind of that, that mind controls the body. I never knew that really growing up. I looked at my physical body. I focused on that. I didn't understand the mind, how it worked. But the more I studied it, the more I realized this controls my body. This controls what I do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you kind of getting back to where I was talking to schools. And I'm at, I was at the collegiate level, but I know this extends down to all school ages. Um, so the administrator who with whom I was speaking at this big school, 
said, hey, we got this big problem with emotional resiliency. We've got kids who are quitting playing sports. We've got kids dropping out. Um, we have kids in depression, et cetera. And I was like, wow, you know, your sports psychologist must have, uh, you must have somebody on staff to at least to do that, do that. And let me stop for a moment. I'm not saying that a sports psychologist is actually the best answer. That's another, another topic we can talk about though. But he said, no, we don't even have a sports psychologist. I was like, what, you know, how can this be? He says, well, you know, the day we have a sports psychologist is the day that person is overwhelmed. And then it becomes a political battle that we will have to enter as to who gets access to that person. And we don't want to go there. Whew. And then he says, you know, if we have one, we're probably going to have to get uh, five more. And we don't have that kind of money in our budget. And I was like, wow, I, I, it hurt my ears to hear that because here you have a public university entrusted with the care of you know, 30,000 students. They know they have a huge problem at the deepest levels and they're not doing anything. Well, next to nothing, excuse me. They are, they're, you know, there's a little bit of stuff happening, but not enough, not enough, not enough. So, um, you know, I'm trying to help be an answer to that. I think that uh, as coaches, we like things that are very efficient. Um, well, I guess I'll dive into traditional psychology for a moment here. Cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, talk therapy has been the mainstay of traditional psychological approaches for decades. And um, compared to the techniques that I use, and this has been studied in trials of 5,000 patients and more, 5,000 clients and more, meta-analyses out there, clinical trials, randomized you know, controlled trials, which are the gold standard, it shows that these energy psychology techniques help many more people much faster and the results last longer. So I would love it if all the coaches, all the athletic departments would recognize that they could make a huge advance in helping kids by adopting these new techniques, which, you know, they're still, even though they've been around for 30 plus years, we're still at that scratching the surface in terms of implementation. I think, uh, you know, Scott, too, like a lot of times your performance is dictated on what happened before you even got there, like whether you had a great day at school or whether you had a good day at home or you know, all these things tend to transition to something else. Like everything seems to be related, but we tend to focus only on the performance as is. And we wonder, like, man, why aren't they performing at their best or why are they inconsistent? And we assume it has something to do with, like, you know, what they're doing on the field. Like, how can we get more curious about and build relationships with our players to maybe understand their background a little bit more? So that way, like, oh, well, this traumatic experience happened with them at home. Okay, maybe I can help them with that first before I expect them to go out and perform well. Because, you know, a stressed brain is not going to be able to perform well because their mind's going to be in 100 different places besides where it needs to be, and that's present, right? So how do we help kids get more present? By digging a little deeper beforehand to help them like kind of get through some of that stuff that's going on outside of sports. I think that's great. And, and I think just having something in your practices, um, acknowledging that is helping the kids, right? Because it's normalizing the fact that they could actually talk about something. And to have a coach too, who like, uh, so Jim, you said, oh, you're very open about, you know, your emotional challenges in your life. That's great. You know, how many coaches even do that? No, we've been, we've been coached as, as men, uh, particularly to be in control. Whether we use that word or not, that is what we try to do um, at a subconscious level because we've been taught that for various things that it's not safe to, and you can fill in the blank. And so to avoid things that are not safe, we try to control our environment. 
but that's not a great way to live. And it's certainly hurting our kids. Um, I think that uh, diving into somebody's background is a great thing to do, especially when it's done on their terms. What I mean is uh, allowing somebody to speak without being pushed to do it. And that's why I like the training that I've received is that um, I'm taught not to lead my clients. You know, it's up to them, up to their subconscious to bring it out. And it's a, it's a funny thing. This right here <laughs> is, I call this truth serum. This particular spot is a meridian that I believe is connected to the heart. I've had, so I've had parents occasionally sit in on sessions with their kids and they're looking at this, what's going on and saying afterwards, they'll say, how did you get my son or daughter to talk so much? wasn't me. I said, it's just this. There's something about this process that frees up stuff. We'll just put it like that. And it's any age. Uh, I was working with a, a coach who was in his 20s. This is a guy known as a, as a quiet coach and an angry coach. Okay. And he knew he had some anger issues. And I just, we're just doing this. <laughs> and when we get done, and it is a period of time, he talks a blue streak and I'm looking and trying to look at, there was another coach in the room who knew him and uh, he's like, yeah, I see what's going on. You know, something was changed uh, by this kind of tapping and talking technique. And so with all of these kids, I envision a day when the kids go to school and their homeroom teacher, if this is elementary school, just starts leading me in, in this kind of thing. Hey, how, how's everything this morning? Kids will start talking naturally. Oh, you know, I'm worried about my test today. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. Get it. You know, how's, how's your brother? How's your sleep? Just that kind of very easy flowing conversation. It's not complicated. Added with this tapping really makes a difference. And let me jump in there for 30 seconds, then I'll let you get you guys comment. The tapping creates a small electrical signal. And it goes to the, that part of the brain that houses memories and emotions. The amygdala, these little almond-shaped things in our brain, house that. It's an amazing process. Every memory we have is intertwined and coded with an emotion. And we don't think about that, but everything we do is, has an emotional component to it. And through the miracle of our, you know, we were created, that is um, the way we access uh, the rewiring process, because this this tapping here creates what's called a piezoelectric signal, and it travels through the, the meridian lines to that part of the brain, and it soothes that part of the brain that might have a old memory that's perceived as negative, uh, fearful, anxiety, and all of a sudden, you know, people will say players who were afraid to do something can do it. And it happens easily and quickly. It's not a cognitive thing. And that's what I love about it is that it's push button. It's mechanical. You can't avoid creating an electrical signal. It's happening every time I tap. And people have been tapping and beating on their bodies, you know, qigong, doing stuff for thousands of years. And uh, the body is often, oddly enough, the body is often ignored when it comes to the mental side. But they're intertwined. 
And uh, Scott, on that though, when you you say the tapping the electrical signals, is yeah. it like if tapping different parts of my body? Does that help with different emotions or mm. different like Ooh. triggers the signals to your body, or how does that work? That's a very sophisticated question. Um, you know, early on in the development of this technique, uh, it was actually called thought field therapy. And the originator of that uh, is uh, Roger Callahan. He had this elaborate algorithm set up so that exactly what you said, which was that, oh, if you have this emotion, then you tap in this sequence of places. And uh, back to Gary Craig, the USC football baseball player, uh, engineer, he took his engineering mind and he's like, that's cool. That's really cool, but it's too complicated. We've got to synthesize this down to a form that makes it easy for the layperson to implement. And that's what he did. And so what he found was that we don't have to go through the complicated algorithm that Roger Callahan, Dr. Callahan did. Um, he realized that if we just focus enough on that feeling, let's say it's in our chest, like we started with, and tap on all of the spots, you're gonna get the same results, <laughs> which is brilliant. So you don't need to, as Jason asked this question, you don't need to be going through and doing baseball signs, right? Right. Like, <laughs> hey, that's I'm a base coach. I was saying that's a great way to hide it, though. Hey, like guys, hey, this is a bun, guys. Here we go, bun. Everybody, bun. Right? You know, it's like that would be super cool. Use these the way that you know baseball signals they're going everywhere anyway. It's like, hey, why don't you just tap yourself? You know, coach is yeah. here, and then you're doing like two uh, killing two birds with one stone right there. I know? love so, that. I love that. And you know, people do get self conscious because they're like, oh, Scott, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to stand out. And it was like, well, first off, you can tap on not wanting to stand out because that's an issue. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you if you don't want to be looked at like, oh, what's that guy doing? There are stealthy ways to do this. And frankly, we we all do this anyway. We don't realize it. But how many times is it like, hmm, gosh, I don't really know. You know, you we go to these spaces or we scratch the top of our head. Hmm, how's it going? Remember, this is a spot too. So we we innately mm -hmm. kind of do these things mm -hmm. yeah and i've had guys who uh we want to have a performance routine you know get ready to bat and this kid one of my first uh d1 college guys i went to go see him one time i was so pleased he gets on on deck and he goes through various rituals that baseball guys do and then he goes and then he's ready to hit you know and i was like that's cool that's cool nice yeah and uh, Scott, we want actually want to dive into like what is the champion's playbook? I know you've uh, you've yeah. written it, you wrote it out, um, and how can like journaling also be a part of this process of yeah. writing your thoughts out, going through some of these things? Um, yeah, well, I'll I'll answer that. It actually is not a book, um, and it's so funny. Maybe my name is not a great one, but Champion Playbook uh, is a is a system that I had created so that it's a combination of a hybrid of um, pre-recorded videos, lessons that I'm teaching, and then live Zoom calls. And so somebody can purchase my signature program and uh, for individual clients, that's what we do. Um, and But to your point, hey, is journaling a valuable thing? Yeah, it is. It's a, journaling is something that um, is overlooked. Uh, what I like about it for a uh, kind of this process of growing as a person is that it's a combination of mental and physical. And I'm not an expert as to exactly, you know, how this works, but uh, plenty of people have explained that if we can combine some uh, emotional work with some physical activity, 
it deepens the process. I was just listening to a mentor of mine uh, on a call, and she was talking about um, going through this meditative process and what she calls magnetization in a walking form. So as you're walking, you're, you're thinking through something. And we do this again. This is all ancient stuff. Uh, we've forgotten it as modern man and our stressors and our commitments. We got to get to work on time. But in the old days of indigenous tribes, they would have these rituals of maybe dancing around a campfire in it, which is a combination of mental and physical combined. So back to journaling. Uh, journaling can be a great way to uh, explore feelings, thoughts, get it out of your head onto a piece of paper. And there's just some inherent magic with that, that uh, I don't know the science behind it. I don't need to. All I know is that it helps people and uh, journaling I recommend for folks. What you do you, know, what do you say to people that, that say, I struggle to journal, like yeah. sitting down, opening up something, right? Is there like giving specific instructions or way to start or kind of a, a flow they can go through it? So again, every time we have a something that when our when our actions don't meet our desires, right? We know we have an emotional problem. Uh, at least we should know that. So first off, thing I would do is I would probably tap with somebody and, and you know, I would start like this. Hey, even though I have this problem where I just don't want to journal, you know, I just don't want to journal. I deeply and I completely love and accept myself. Or I might just say, even though I don't want to journal, I'm okay. There, this is part of this process of tapping that we're taught, and it helps to create to uh, counter what's called psychological reversal. Sometimes people want to become better at something, um, but inside of them, at, at a cognitive level, they want it, but deep inside of them, they don't want it. <laughs> and so, this statement of even though I have this problem, I accept myself is uh, countering that. And uh, we won't quite get into all of the details of that today, but back to your question, um, if somebody says, I don't like to journal, we would just say, I don't like to journal. <laughs> and I would say to that person, um, so as you tune into not wanting to journal, what do, what's the emotion there? I'm frustrated. Oh, frustration. Okay. Um, you know, tune into that. Uh, is there any kind of emotion behind that? I'm just angry about it. You know, there'll be something else. Where do you carry that anger in your body? You know, what do you mean, coach? When you were angry, what part of your body feels different? Oh, my gut. My gut feels different. Ah, okay. Focus on your gut. And, uh, you know, as we do that kind of work, uh, we might do a few rounds of this. And I'd say to the person, is there any other part of your life where you've had this kind of feeling in your body? Yeah. And now here comes the magic. <laughs> Something will come up. Some, somebody will say, yeah, I don't know. I was in second grade and uh, I was in a spelling bee and I, I embarrassed myself in front of the teacher. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that comes up from athletes. You know, the, the, and again, I, how would I ever ask that kind of question? So as we process through that, um, the athlete might say who didn't want to journal, uh, I might have asked them at the beginning, zero to 10. Zero is no problem journaling. 10 is, oh man, I just, I hate it. I won't do it. Where were you? Uh, maybe a seven. And we go mm. through the tapping process here. Where are you now? It's like, huh, I feel like I'm about a two or a three. Great. You know, so we've reduced anxiety about, about journaling. And 
that's the uh, that's the way to do anything. <laughs> so whether it's journaling um, or it's yeah, I I don't want to uh, lift weights. Um, I I don't want to change the way I feel the ball. I, I don't you know I don't want uh, I don't know Jim. What uh, what do you encounter with a lot of players? What's kind of the the hesitation that you a theme that you see through players? I think I think a lot of like young players interest when we talk about this because um, even like what I'll do in practice, I'll, I'll do like some box breathing before practice and mindfulness stuff. And these young kids are so this is kind of uncomfortable for them, right? In a group setting, they'll kind of joke around and kind of like laugh and make noises. But it's interesting they haven't been understanding how the mind, how the breath, and how certain things can help you in your performance. And that, that's one thing I, I wanted to ask you about, though, is like, mm-hmm. say there's coaches and there's teachers and there's parents. Say, this is great. I love what you're doing, Scott. And you know what to do. You know how to work through these kids with it. But I don't know what to do. Yeah. And as you mentioned, like a lot of these schools or places don't have the resources to pay for psychologists or all these people in there. What are ways that as coaches or teachers, we can learn this? Yeah, and we could have this in our tool bag that we can use it with our students and our athletes to help them out as well as ourselves. Well, that's great. And so one is that you come to me and, um, you know, I travel, I do, I do Zoom. I can teach anybody to do any, any of this and I can work directly with uh, that's that's one strategy. So I can teach the teachers how to do this. The second is I can come and implement. I can become your de facto uh, assistant coach. Uh, if you will. And this would be for more of a collegiate setting than a well-funded situation. Um, and, uh, you know, those two strategies are going to get you a long way. I would think, uh, or I'd say that sometimes we think that we have to do everything in order to get like the benefits of it. Remember my original story of, um, I had little Johnny who you know, was pitching and he did a great job after we tapped before that he was crying. Um, I was no expert at that point. I was early in this process. I had read about it. I had seen some stuff online. I practiced on myself, but maybe I was a year into it. Okay. And I was still able to really help kids. So it's not like that you can, you have to become, you know, like I am now I'm, I am an expert now. I've been doing it for 12 years, a lot of time, et cetera. It's great. But for coaches and parents, I would say start small. And the way to build a habit is to start off with something that is really easy, okay, and, and to celebrate it. So what's really easy? Um, tapping is easy, but people may still feel uncomfortable with that. I think low-hanging fruit, when breathing is too woo-woo for people, I think low-hanging fruit is posture. And it used to be the most watched video on TED Talks, maybe still is, is Dr. Amy Cuddy talking about the neurological or neurochemistry changes through body posture. And so when we're standing in the dugout or you know, at the free throw line or whatever it may be, standing in warrior position, you know, which is kind of hands on hips like Superman. You know, that's what I would say to little kids. It's, it's Superman. I guess they still know who Superman is. <laughs> it might have to be a Marvel character. But um, standing in that position for as little as two minutes, 
changes the hormones that are in our body. And in, we go to these ones that are great for performance. And so doing those kinds of things um, is, is very easy. Um, again, it's always like, oh, if it's so easy, how come everybody's not doing it? I don't know. <laughs> this is the human dilemma. Uh, the story that I tell when I have uh, presentations and people are you know, bashful about this is that Dr. Semmelweis, 19th century, he went in front of the he was he went in front of his peers at, at their annual convention and he said, hey, folks, um, I think that there's invisible creatures killing our patients. And they were he, they laughed him out of the room. And uh, he said, yeah. And furthermore, the antidote to this is soap and water. And again, they just laughed him out of the room. So he was the first person to advocate washing hands as a means of uh, killing bacteria. And so in the old days of um, delivering babies, baby <laughs> doctors didn't wash hands. They went cadaver in one room to holding a baby and the you know, mother in the, in the next room without washing their hands. They'd take a cloth and just wipe the blood off. And so um, why, why did it take another 20 years for people to adopt that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we're out here trying to be good messengers of best practices. And uh, that's what I view myself as. Um, I'm a little bit of a Johnny Appleseed, just planting my seeds. People who are open to it, they will benefit from it. It will change lives. And uh, hopefully over the course of you know, sooner than later, our culture will be more accepting of these kinds of tools. Yeah. Well, Scott, man, it's been uh, great having you on the show today. And we always end our show with the four questions with 40 athletes. So these are Okay. Some lightning round questions, some quick ones, uh, some final tidbits of wisdom here. So, number one, first one is, in your opinion, what does it mean to win in the game of life? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, I believe that getting to know oneself uh, and and uh, living from that spot, we are we are put into this matrix of life uh, where we are tempted by somebody else's vision. If we can be aware of what's in our heart, what our calling is, and live our life and making most decisions from that spot, man, that's an awesome life. Mm. Know thyself, right? That's a, a famous quote from a philosopher. I can't yeah. remember which one it is, but yeah. Me either. <laughs> um, but I remember it's, it's been said multiple times. So yeah. uh, number two, if you could spend time with anyone in you admire in sports, passed away, alive, fictional, non-fictional, who would you pick and why would you choose them? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, uh, I really like John Wooden. I mean, John Wooden is the name, the greatest coach of all time by ESPN across all sports. And uh, what I like about him is that uh, many things, but he came up with a system and he lived by, he created it over time, took him many, many years of ob observing humans, observ observing players. Uh, he combined it with scriptural knowledge, came up with a system that was Back to your first question of how do you how do you live a great life? That was his way of doing that. And then the other people um, I want to throw in there alive. Uh, I'd like Tony Bennett, who's the UVA basketball coach, because Tony does things differently than every other coach, and and his teams uh, win, and he does it his way. And I really I really admire that, and I admire the fact that he uh, almost never gets flustered. I saw him get flustered the other night on TV. <laughs> So it happens to the best of us. Um, but those two, those two people, um, I'll, I'll stop there. 
Yeah, I used to love uh, Dick Bennett back in the day. So that's uh, Tony's dad. Go. I used to yeah. love like stuff he'd teach and and watch and learn from him. But by the way, that Socrates on the one that uh, know thyself. Oh, Socrates. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Third question is, and I had to look it up by the way. So third question is, is what is the best advice you ever received from a coach that you you know played for or worked for? Mm. Wow. Um. Hmm. Well, I'm going to, I don't know that it's advice, but it was sure a motivation. Um, back to my college coach, uh, he kind of gave me a verbal kick in the butt that I later realized was really imperfect. Um, so he was frustrated with my play as was I, and he's like, Hey, red, come over here. And I used to have red hair <laughs> and, uh, it's like, you got a million dollar swing, but you got a 10 cent head. It's like, oh, wow, that kind of hurts. Um, and I was just waiting there for uh, the next piece of advice as to how to help me, but he didn't have anything. And so that ended up being the impetus, you know, decades later for me diving into um, this world that we're talking about here because I wanted to be a coach that did have solutions. Think about that, though. Like, I've done that before. I remember I told Jason, I'll ask this next question in a second, but I remember in a gymnasium, an assistant coach came up to me and this kid is a division one player and I was coaching him and uh, he's like, he's having some anxiety problems. He's struggling with his confidence. And I'm like, I'll, sh he, 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 I'm like, I'm going to toughen him up. I'll toughen him up in practice. We're going to do toughness drills. We'll get, but I didn't know what to do. And I write this, this is almost like 15. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any answers. I drove home and I was like frustrated myself. I'm like, I struggle with that too. I didn't know how to help myself and I can't help him. So it started me on that journey so I yeah. can relate to that. Um, the last yeah. question is this, if you had one character trait or life skill that say you're recruiting an individual to play for you as a coach or somebody to work for you and you could choose one character trait or life skill that they could have, what would it be and why? Yeah. I would say, um, the ability to love their self. And uh, that's one that has uh, eluded most people. And it is a it is a challenge. And a lot, we could talk a long time about even what that means and what it feels like. And I'm still learning it. And uh, I think that when we love ourselves, we can better go out into the world and love other people. And if you do that, and I think life becomes very different, very easy. Uh, the paradigm shifts and uh, I appreciate that question. And that was not the answer that I thought I was going to give. Wow. That that's the first time we've heard that answer. Mm -hmm. And by the way, um, we talk about the lot, Jace, like you can't love yourself. You can't love others. And it's hard to love yourself. And I think that would be an episode within itself of love, Jason. <laughs> I would, yes, and you know, love. like think about it too. Like you look yourself in the mirror and if you look at your eyes in the mirror and say, I love you. Like that's, I mean, most people can't do that. It's very uncomfortable for most people to to, to be able to. So you are um, exactly right. Yes, you know, that's that's a very profound answer. The one that we haven't had yet. It's unique too. Good. Sure, Scott. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, well, Scott. Hey, man, thanks for joining us today. How can people learn more about your work? Where can they find you? The Champions Playbook. Yeah. Uh, give us some websites, some resources where people can can look you up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The website is uh, the t h e the Champion Playbook dot com. And there's a contact form on there. You can fill that out. Um, or you can just email me too. I like that. It's scott at 
coachscottfox.com. So one more time, scott at coachscottfox.com. And I love interacting with people. Um, we're all real people here and nobody's hiding behind some technology. I've, I've got 20 minutes for everybody. Well, thanks again, Scott, for joining us, you know, enlightening us in a lot of uh, useful emotional freedom techniques today and just some some great wisdom. So uh, look you. forward to uh, continuing the conversation with you soon, Scott. I loved it. Thank you guys so much. You guys Scott, are special. Thanks for what you're doing. God bless. You're welcome. Well, Jim, you know, being a manager of your emotions uh, is the key to success both in sports and in life. And we've dedicated a week of how to manage emotions and what emotions look like that for you uh, in our 40 athletes uh, program. Jimmy, where can we uh, send people to either book a discovery call or sign up for the program? Yeah, they can go to 40athletes.com to see the materials, like I said, and schedule a call that we can, you know, if you're a sports organization, coach as a team and uh, you need help, uh, you know, kind of like implementing uh, certain life skills and character traits to help these kids win the game of life. Uh, we definitely would love to partner with you. And like, you know, Scott said, you look at uh, at all levels. I mean, from the youth, mm -hmm. from the high school, we talk about Jason, the college and the professional. You see these athletes losing their emotions and coaches losing their emotions. So with what Scott's talking about, there's so much need for that. Um, and I love the techniques he talked about today that are simple and that can be applied that can help really people, you know, control these emotions, management and ways to help them succeed in and out of sport. And highly affordable, right? All you need is your hand and your fingers to tap, right? That's all you need. You know, <laughs> so. Yeah, that is true. That's a good point. Right. Well, Jimmy, enjoy your Wednesday and uh, we'll be in touch soon, man. Appreciate it, Jace. Take care, buddy. Thanks.